Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Sarah Shoppy Sullivan from Ohio State University, who has done a ton of research on families and their relationships. She's done research on co-parenting, gatekeeping, infant development, and more. Professor Shoppy Sullivan received her BA in psychology from Northwestern University and her MA and PhD in developmental psychology from the University of Illinois. Dr. Shoppy Sullivan is a nationally and internationally recognized expert on co-parenting, father-child relationships, and the transition to parenthood, and a fellow of the National Council on Family Relations. Dr. Shoppe Sullivan is a deputy editor of the Journal of Marriage and Family, as well as a member of the editorial boards of the Journal of Family Psychology, Parenting, Science and Practice, and the Journal of Family Theory and Review. Dr. Shoppe Sullivan's research focuses on the family as a primary context for young children's social-emotional development. With that, here's my interview with Dr. Sarah Shoppe Sullivan from Ohio State University. How are you doing today, doctor? Just fine, thanks. And uh, so you've got uh, a, a ton of research here uh, that you've done. It looks like you've done a lot of research in uh, parenting stress, uh, co-parenting, uh, shared parenting, uh, particularly with infants. Uh, you've got a, a bunch of articles here I'm going to bring up. Uh, and uh, how long have you been uh, been doing all this research? Um, about 25 years, actually, since I was uh, in graduate school in psychology in the late 1990s. And, uh, and what got you interested in doing, uh, you know, shared parenting research? Well, so much research in psychology traditionally had focused on mothers uh, and mother-child relationships. There was much less research on fathers and father-child relationships. And so I became very interested in trying to fill that gap. And then also considering that, um, you know, most children are parented by more than one parent or parent figure at any given time in their lives. So to just focus on the role of one parent in a child's development is really to ignore the child's significant reality. And so I became interested in this uh, concept of co-parenting, which started as something that people thought about, you know, parents doing after divorce, right? Right. Um, actually, which is indeed the case, but most of my research actually has focused on the development of co-parenting relationships uh, when folks become parents for the first time. Um, and the, the idea that co-parenting is something that, you know, parents do kind of all along, um, that it, it represents the way that families um, function. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, when we talk about shared parenting, uh, I think, you know, in co-parenting, it's often in context of, you know, after a divorce has happened or during a divorce. But, but I think that's important to recognize that really when you have a child, you have a co-parent uh, you know, even if you're still an intact, you know, married family. So, um, you know, is that, is that concept new to other people as well? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, well, it, it, in the scientific literature, the concept of co-parenting, uh, that kind of relationship existing, you know, outside of the context of divorce, I think was really new, like right about the time I started doing research. So I think that's partially I, uh, why I got into it, but it was in like the late 1990s and early 2000s where there was a movement to, again, just to recognize that children are embedded in these networks of relationships and that we need to understand how parents, you know, work together and coordinate parenting or fail to do so 
and what implications that has for children's development. So that was really where the action was at the time I started doing research. Yeah, and I think I think certainly, um, you know, from earlier in the '90s, if we go all the way back to the '60s and '70s, that whole concept of you know, uh, you know, mother nurturing and and moms know best. And um, but there's been a significant shift in the research to show that you know, really, those are old concepts, and they they're really not how the brain works, right? Um, yeah. And and what what are some interesting things that you found along the way? Well, um, I would say that you know, some of my early work on fathers. Um, demonstrated that fathers make important contributions uh, to children's uh, positive development above and beyond the contributions of mothers. Um, also that uh, uh, fathers in particular, the uh, amount they're involved in parenting and the quality of their relationships with their children are influenced quite a bit by mothers in, and the quality of uh, the mother's relationship with the father and also the mother's views, in addition to the father's views on, you know, appropriate parental roles and responsibilities that mothers have often been, you know, placed in this role that we call sort of gatekeepers, um, meaning, you know, having this sort of uh, perhaps somewhat greater control in, in the family domain in terms of um, uh, influence on either, you know, encouraging fathers to be more involved or, or, or strong father-child relationships or uh, sometimes, you know, uh, preventing uh, fathers from becoming more involved or uh, developing closer relationships with their children. So that's another phenomenon that I've been interested in and had done some research on. And let's go back for just a minute. You mentioned something that I think is key, which is, which is easy to miss, but we always, uh, or we often in, in the shared parenting world, when we talk about, you know, uh, life after divorce and, and co-parenting after divorce, we focus on that, that parent child relationship. So the mother, mother-child and the father-child relationship, but we don't spend a lot of time focusing on that parent-parent relationship. And, uh, and, I, and I think I think what you said is it's very important and that children learn from that. Um, but, but is there anything else to unpack there? Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's also, you know, decades of research suggesting that whether we're talking about after divorce or a breakup or, you know, in a in a family where the parents are married or romantically involved, that those dynamics between parents, even ones that, you know, have to do with their couple relationship, you know, uh, interparental conflict, these things can be very uh, influential on children. Um, absolutely. Um, and so what, another way to think about co-parenting is sort of those aspects of interparental relationships that focus more specifically on parenting. Um, and so, um, but there's a lot of evidence that the quality of those relationships, whether or not the parents are in a romantic relationship, whether they ever were, you know, or whether they still are or whether they aren't anymore, that the quality of those dynamics is really, really important, not just for children, but then also for uh, parents' abilities to be the best parents that they can be uh, for their children. And, and I want to unpack a little bit too. Uh, if we go back to your Google uh, scholarly page here, you've got a bunch of different articles and, and I think the range of topics that you have uh, is really fascinating. Uh, but you do have some articles here on infants. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your research on infants and what, uh, you know, what, you know, basically what, uh, you know, what can we learn from that? And, and is it good for, you know, infants to have, co you know, shared parenting? Uh, that sort of thing. And the, what's the father's involvement with infants and, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, bring us into the infant world. Sure, sure. So um, part of my work, like I said, I've been really interested 
in the development of family relationships. And so I've studied this period in family development called the transition to parenthood, um, which, you know, typically focuses on couples who are at that point romantically involved or married, right? Um, and are expecting their first child. And so I've done a lot of this longitudinal research, which follows couples over time from before their parents to when they're new parents of, of uh, their firstborn uh, babies. And um, so in terms of father-infant relationships, I mean, yes, I, we've definitely found that, you know, father-infant uh, relationships, uh, close relationships and, and highly engaged and positive father-child interactions, you know, make positive contributions very early on in development. So it's definitely beneficial for uh, infants and young children to interact with their, their dads. Um, and the other thing I'd say too, is that though, even in families where, and, and a lot of my research has focused on uh, dual earner families. So families where both uh, moms and dads are working outside the home for pay. And even in those families, there's still quite a lot of variability in terms of how involved uh, dads are, how much they are sharing parenting with, with mothers. And so I've also been interested in trying to explain why there are those differences, even in populations of families where you'd think there would be sort of an, a, a, a necessity to really share parenting. Um, but things that matter are, um, you know, things that probably wouldn't be too surprising. The quality of the couple's relationship prior to having a baby is important. Also, the uh, father's and the mother's uh, expectations about gender roles and responsibilities. Um, there, uh, and one aspect we've looked at recently is this concept of maternal essentialism. So most of the couples that I've studied you know, they'll agree with things like, you know, dad should be present at the birth of their child. Yeah, nobody disagrees with that anymore. I mean, maybe that was a, you know, a, a point of disagreement in the 60s or the 70s, but it's not a disagreement anymore, right? But there are nuanced beliefs that differentiate, you know, families in which there's greater shared parenting or less shared parenting. And some of those include the sort of underlying belief that some folks still have that sort of mothers are inherently better parents. They're inherently more sensitive, especially to babies. And so, uh, those beliefs can be a barrier to greater uh, shared parenting in infancy. So I think that's something that's really important is trying to unpack why those beliefs persist, even among couples where, you know, in, in many other respects, they look fairly progressive and like they'd be on track for shared parenting. So that's something we found that mattered um, in, in our, our recent research. Well, that's so interesting. And, you know, those, those beliefs that, you know, that mom, you know, mom is the better nurturer. Is that, is that, have you found that that actually can be counterproductive? And so, I mean, the intent of the belief is to be better for the children. Uh, but in reality, if they, if they keep dad away or, or have dad has less involvement because of that belief, I mean, that that's harmful to the children actually, right? It's counterproductive to the original belief. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we always have to keep in mind, you know, we're, we're assuming that, you know, the couple wants shared parenting and that this is this is a good thing and that there aren't any, you know, the parents don't have any major kinds of issues that, you know, would make their involved greater involvement in parenting, you know, potentially destructive. Like I'm thinking, you know, really serious substance abuse problems or things like that. Obviously, you have to roll that out. But with that, those kinds of exceptions, I mean, yeah, shared, this is a barrier to, to greater father engagement um, and, um, and and also a barrier potentially, I think, to mothers kind of trusting dads, you know, to to be just as, you know, good um, at parenting as, as they might feel they 
they are. Um, and so, yes, we have found that, especially when mothers and fathers have more essentialist beliefs about, you know, mothers' sort of natural abilities as parents, that fathers are um, less uh, engaged in parenting early on. And, you know, I think an important point is some of those families might think, well, the dads will get more involved later when the kids are older. You know, like I've heard people say when they can walk and talk, you know, and things like that. But the thing is, is that that early level of involvement, you know, and how much shared parenting there is early on really does set the stage for what it's going to look like later on. So I think sometimes people think, oh, it'll balance out later on. But I don't think that actually necessarily happens in the way people think. And often, you know, in the United States, at least, I mean, our, our birth rate has been going down, especially during COVID. But, um, you know, people have more than one kid. And then you add another child to the mix. And, you know, sometimes that can eat, lead you, uh, you know, in some ways, even, even further away from, you know, sort of truly equally shared parenting in that way. So, so yeah, so I think those beliefs are, I mean, are something we really need to work on um, in terms of, um, you know, understanding sort of where they come from. And like I said, why they seem to persist, even in couples that otherwise you ask them, do you want to share parenting equally? They're like, yeah. But if you ask them, you know, but when it comes to baby, who really knows, you know, does a mother know better what a baby wants and needs? They're kind of like, yeah, I think that's that, that belief still really is lingering in the background. And I think it does affect some of these, these early dynamics, but it can be, it can get in the way of shared parenting and a shared parenting is something that, you know, especially something the parents strongly desire and they're not getting there, then of course that can create conflict in the couple relationship, which can uh, be, you know, further, further destructive. Yeah. And certainly, uh, you know, as kids are young and, and, you know, from infant to the toddler stage, they're, they're learning an incredible amount that gets transferred later on and, and even into adulthood. So, you know, setting that stage early on, uh, I think is so, so important. Um, and you know, have, have, have you seen any differences in development for, you know, children that have had, um, you know, sort of parents that sort of work together, whether they're divorced or not, or, or still living together or still married, um, versus, you know, uh, children of separated parents who, um, you know, maybe not have been encouraged to see that, that cooperation. Yeah. I mean, like I said, most of my research has focused on, uh, married or cohabiting, romantically involved co-parents. But um, yeah, when when co-parents are cooperative, supportive of one another, they refrain from, you know, getting into a lot of arguments, sniping at each other, criticizing each other and so forth. And they create, you know, a more thereby create a more positive family dynamic. Their children are better adjusted in multiple ways. I mean, they have fewer behavior problems. They're more likely to comply with parent, you know, parent requests. They're just, they have better social functioning. Um, they're just, they're doing better across a whole host of uh, outcomes that are considered important, you know, in early, in, in toddlerhood and early childhood and really sets kids on, on a, and a good platform for succeeding in their relationships with peers and in school, you know, because the school is more about just, it's more uh, there's more to it than just academics. You know, part of it is being able to adapt to the school environment, to be able to develop relationships with peers and teachers. And so, yes, when, when co-parents are cooperative on the same page, kids definitely do better. And, and when you have that family dynamic where you have one person who's a gatekeeper and the other person, uh, you know, who's really just kind of following along, you know, what does that do for the development of the kids and how do they translate that to what they do later on in life? 
Yeah, that's that's a big question. I think that the specific aspect of co-parenting relationships, gatekeeping per se, we're still trying to figure out sort of what the specific long-term effects of that are. But I will say that it is also associated with uh, things like um, uh, triangulation, uh, which might be a term that your audience is familiar with, but that, you know, kids feeling caught between their parents, you know, which is a particularly destructive uh, aspect of interparental conflict um, it, that I imagine sometimes, you know, exists, say, prior to a breakup or divorce and then only gets worse afterwards. So so I think that, you know, it, it's a mistake maybe to think of uh, things as necessarily being different between, you know, after a divorce and before a divorce. I mean, obviously some things change, but, you know, some of these patterns may have already been in place and then kind of, you know, blow up after a breakup or a divorce. Um, and we know that triangulation, feeling caught between one's parents and so forth, again, is associated with uh, problems in development, things like we call them internalizing and externalizing. I should explain what that is. But internalizing is like symptoms of anxiety and depression um, and externalizing behavior are aggressive, inattention, acting out kinds of behaviors. And so those kinds of kids who feel caught between their parents, you know, in some kind of gatekeeping process or who are also deprived of the opportunity to have a close relationship with one of their parents. Um, that is definitely detrimental to their um, behavioral um, and social emotional functioning. Yeah. And it, uh, that's all, I mean, I think there's a lot of research that needs to be done there, but uh, is your, is your opinion that the, that the knowledge of this sort of stuff is, is becoming more mainstream or uh, is there still a lot of the story to get out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's sort of both. I do think that there's greater recognition that um, interparental relationships are important to children's development. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily means that there are, you know, supports and services in place or very easily accessible for families, maybe unless and until, you know, there's a divorce situation or something like that, potentially. Um, I know a little less about that. But one um, avenue for prevention that um, folks I know who in my sort of research circle work on is the idea that, um, you know, we have all these programs for expectant parents that focus on, you know, childbirth education, right? Um, and a lot of people attend those, you know, maybe with a partner or with another potential or um, actual co-parent. Um, and, you know, those tend to focus much more sort of on the labor and delivery process, maybe infant safety and things like that. So folks I know have been trying to um, modify and enhance that those kinds of programs to focus more on co-parenting um, dynamics to get couples to think about, OK, well, you say you both want to be involved. How are you going to do that? Like, what are your plans for taking leave after this baby is born? You know, how do you think those plans or what's what's available to you could affect your plans for shared parenting? You know, kind of thinking through and troubleshooting some of those um, things that um, I know, even as a researcher who studies this, you know, when I became a parent, I know that I hadn't really thoroughly considered all of the um, challenges and barriers that might come up uh, in terms of shared parenting. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, we do do, um, you know, the birthing education, but we, we uh, you know, I think as a whole, as a society, we don't do a very good job of educating people to actually be the parents for the next 18 years, right? 
and and yeah. I think that's a you know I, I for folks that I work with that you know are young and are having babies, I say you know hey you remember uh, in college when you're going for finals week and you, you sort of stayed up all week and drank Mountain Dew just to get through finals and I go yeah yeah I said well it's like that for three years okay for the first three <laughs> years you're gonna be doing that but but yeah we don't do a lot of uh, a really good training. I mean, and, and there's no courses in school, things like that. Uh, so I, I think that's a big, big part of things that we're leaving. I and mean, we essentially just figure it out. Right. And I think, um, you know, by the time you have your second kid, you're like, okay, you've done it once already. You figure it out. Right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, unless your second kid is so dramatically different from your first kid, which some people experience too, right. they they have a different temperament or, you know, so then that can, th- that can, uh, be a challenge as well. Yeah. I have a colleague who studies that transition to having a second, a second child, which is really interesting. And there's been far less research on that. But although I think you're right, that parents talk about it and what that's like and how they might, you know, modify the way they share parenting when they have a second or a third child. But it's so funny because the researchers always focus on the first child because it, because we want to make everything so neat and comparable across families. And once you start adding in multiple children you know, they might differ in terms of, you know, gender or um, spacing or age spacing. It gets really complicated. <laughs> yeah, there, there certainly are a ton of variables there. And, and I know yeah. from, from my own children, you know, the, the youngest and the oldest are certainly much, much different. And uh, it's always it's always been uh, kind of a puzzling thing, you know, how they got that way. But I'm sure there's a, a good reason, uh, lots of good reasons for it, but it's not uh, really apparent. Is there any area you research you really uh, you want to dive into? Or, I mean, you've got so many articles on here. I'm, I keep scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> I Yeah, I'm interested in... I guess one issue I'm interested in that would be interested, I think, interesting to folks about um, who's, who are interested in shared parenting would be um, this idea of, you know, you, often we think of shared parenting, you know, if we're talking about before a divorce and so forth, the way I would think about it is sort of, you know, especially with babies, right? Mothers tend to be really highly involved. I mean, sure, there are exceptions, but they tend to be, especially in terms of time, right? They're really highly involved. So the idea is always about bringing fathers up to that level, right? So then you're sharing. But I think it's also possible that in order to really be sharing, you have to go like this. Like, so I think mothers, you know, it's it's a very weird thing to say you should, you know, spend less time, maybe not less time exactly, but that in order to really achieve something that's equal, you know, that there is a sort of a ceiling on, you know, how mothers can be involved and that actually there might be some, there are some benefits to really sharing that are, um, you know, might free up mothers to have, you know, a little more time to, you know, relax or focus on work or career or, and so I don't know that that conversation is, is, I guess, always had, you know, it's always about getting the dads more involved, but then, you know, like what's the level of parental involvement that might be (laughs) excessive and at what level are parents ignoring their own needs and their own, um, you know, their, their own, um, plans for their lives. Like, I do think it's possible to be a really good parent without constantly upping the ante in terms of, you know, uh, engagement with, with your children. So I'd like to see that idea kind of considered. I mean, there are norms in the, in the U S that have become more and more popular across different, um, um, social classes, for example, in terms of the real need to like put kids in tons of activities to constantly be entertaining them and enriching their lives and so forth. And it puts a lot of pressure on parents, Um, And so we call that intensive parenting norms. 
And so I think in order to really achieve like greater shared parenting across the board, we need to re-examine those to some extent. And so mothers, I think, may feel sometimes like they can't. They can't share parenting more with partners because they will be perceived as bad mothers and not as devoted to their children as they ought to be. So I think we need to consider, you know, what's really because I, I tend to believe, you know, yes, there are things that are in the best interest of children for sure in terms of good parenting. But like I said, the family dynamic, the parents' relationships with one another, how mentally healthy the parents are, how they're faring, all of this matters too. So we have to kind of achieve a like a systemic balance there. And so that's something that that I'd like to see greater attention to because as a sort of traditional child psychologist, you know, it's always all about the kids all the time. And it's like that's very important, but you can't neglect these other um, relationships and dynamics that are also very, very important. So that's something I think about a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point is, uh, you know, just because dad's more involved doesn't mean mom, he needs to come up to the level that mom's doing. Mom actually needs to come down a little bit, right? And to match. Maybe, what yeah, doing. yeah. Or are there things, you know, we can just structure it in a different way. And, and you don't want to make it some sort of contest because I can always see where, you know, still, like I said, there's some, a lot of these underlying beliefs out there. I think that, you know, if a mom said, oh, I'm going to spend less time with my kids. I mean, a lot of people's gut reaction is going to be like, like you're, mm, what are you doing? You're a bad mom. I mean, we can see this with, with um, actually just recently with discussions about um, so many women, like op- I wouldn't even say opting because that's probably not the right word, but um, coming out of the workforce during COVID because of um, needs to, you know, uh, help children learn at home or um, because their jobs are don't pay as well and they don't have, you know, so it, it, or, or there may be perhaps, you know, more uh, risky jobs or things like that. Right. And so then there's this idea. Now there's this America, uh, this plan that, you know, um, the uh, current administration has to, um, you know, pay for child care. And then there's response by some folks that says, no, we don't want to, you know, force women to put their kids in childcare. And I think about that and I think, okay, yes, on the one hand, that makes sense, but what's bad about childcare? You know, there's still an assumption, underlying assumption, I think, among a lot of people that, you know, again, it comes back to the idea that sort of mothers are so central, you know, like, so I think that's, that's really, I'm very interested in that and why that seems to persist and kind of bubble up at different times, you know, when there's issues still about, you know, there's still issues somehow in the in the psyche of Americans about whether it's okay for for moms to really of young children to really be working. It's still there, and that's a huge barrier to shared parenting. I think like that's that's kind of in the background there. I think that's just my opinion, but I think it just comes up again and again in these strange ways. So I spend a lot of time really grappling with this idea of, of we become so prog- more progressive. We've made a lot of progress in some ways, but in other ways. The progress seems incomplete or or stalled. So that's something I think about a lot. Well, and, and I, you know, sometimes I wonder: Have we really, re- in our in our attempts to be progressive, have we actually regressed? Right? Because sure. uh, you know, the thing that I think about is, um, you know, moms and dads uh, they fulfill different basic roles in the development of the child, and I think that in our in our attempt to make everybody equal right we've sort of lost you know lost track of the fact that you know men and women fill unique roles for the children and that's that's not a bad thing that's actually how you know i think how psychologically how it works 
Uh, but if we try and force everybody to fit the same role, then that that's actually maybe counterproductive. That's a really, yeah, that's a really interesting point too. Um, I mean, I think that's very important. I, I will say that, um, you know, scholars uh, like in, in my area are, are still grappling with that issue to some extent. To what extent is parenting the same, no matter who's providing it um, or good parenting the same, no matter who's providing it. And to what extent is uh, good parenting different uh, for mothers and for fathers. And that's something we really, we're, we still haven't quite figured it out. It seems like in some cases, you know, there are more similarities and differences between moms and dads, you know, they're certainly capable of doing a lot of the same things, right? But like you say, in the world, you know, they do tend to fill different roles and play different parts in children's lives. And, you know, maybe that's fine. Um, the co-parenting, and maybe that's good, you know, we're still trying to really figure that out. Um, in the co-parenting literature, I mean, it's definitely the case that, um, you know, as important as shared parenting is to, um, you know, to a lot of families, um, what's ultimately more important is how um, the quality of the family relationships and how satisfied the parents are, the co-parents are with how responsibilities are divided. Um, and how involved they each are with children and things like that. So it's really about sort of the overall level of satisfaction, which allows for diversity in arrangements and, and to some extent, you know. Um, so I think that's another important principle. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it still comes down to being a team, right? I mean, in, in yeah. reality, the parents are a team and, and actually the whole family is a team, right? And Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and when, whenever you've worked on a team, each member has their role, right. <laughs> you know, and, mm -hmm. and there may be some crossover between those roles, but it's, it's good to have those roles defined. And so everybody's aware and, uh, but yeah, definitely having a plan of attack, I think, think is, uh, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, people can fulfill different roles and so forth. And it's, that's another good point is that it's not always the case that, you know, everybody fills the same, the same position or does the same thing. Um, but I, you know, and I would say though, that, uh, you know, the, the flip side of that is that, you know, fathers don't always have to, you know, act like stereotypical fathers, you know, they might in some families fulfill more of the primary caregiving, um, roles, you know, or so, something like that. Whereas mothers might be, you know, doing more breadwinning and all of that is, is fine. I mean, the, um, and, and, you know, you'd expect that kind of variability. You know, I think it's good to be flexible, too, to be able to. And families need to be flexible to be able to adapt to changing circumstances as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think that's really good to point out, too, is that certainly, you know, we're in 2021. The, the family um, expectations and dynamics and all that sort of stuff is, is much different than it was years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, families are still trying to figure that out, right? Um, yes, you know, I would say that that's true. I think, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so uh, where, where do I mean, where do families go from here? And I guess uh, to me, the answer that you know that that we're looking to you as a, as a you know as a researcher, as a scientist, to figure out is is really what's best for parents, and um, and it's probably not a one size fits all answer, right? But uh, right, uh, I'm cer certain that uh, you know, with all the research that's been done, there's there's certainly some guidelines I think to, to follow. Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, we need to recognize that um, children benefit from high quality relationships with uh, multiple caregivers um, that sometimes, you know, that, that we don't, you know, as a parent, I might think, you know, I'm the most important person in my child's life, but that child benefits from having relationships with 
multiple caregivers um, because, you know, sometimes they can get something from another person that they can't get from you, you know? And so I think that taking that kind of long view or broad view as well as good as a parent to say, look, you know, this, this benefits my child, my child, you know, will be better off in their development. They'll be more insulated from, you know, potential uh, pitfalls and, and, and challenges that may come up. They'll be better able to cope if they have high quality relationships, with multiple caregivers. And the second point I would make is that really to achieve that the caregivers need to get on the same page and they need to do the best they can to have a strong relationship with one another, co-parenting relationship, whether they're, you know, married, romantically involved, divorced, or never, were never in a romantic relationship to begin with, you know, that they, that those, those folks who share responsibility for those kids need to um, do the best they can to, um, to cooperate, to coordinate and to, and to, to, to a degree to, I think, to appreciate what, each of them is able to provide, you know, for, for their shared children. Yeah. And that's, that's just so, so important is, you know, get on the same page because, you know, like we said, it's, it, it is definitely a, a team effort and uh, you know, so what's next for you? Um, what's, uh, what's up on the radar for your research and, uh, and, and what are you most interested in, in looking at here in the near future? There's a couple things. Um, I am hoping to embark on a new study of primary caregiving stay-at-home dads, um, which is a very small population in the United States, but it's been growing. Um, so I think that would be really interesting. And then I'd say the other thing that I'm interested in is this issue of um, how do we measure the quality of parenting behavior for mothers and fathers? Should we do it the same way? Should we have different kinds of measures? Because as you pointed out, mothers and fathers often fulfill different roles in families. So I'm hoping to start a new study where we do like this comprehensive measurement of the quality of um, mothers and fathers parenting across different uh, child age, different child stages of development to try to really get at that question. Because traditionally, when we started to want to, this is seems always seems funny to people out in the real world because they recognize that moms and dads often fill these different roles. But when uh, psychologists wanted to start studying fathers, we just took the ways we measured mothers' parenting and just applied them right to fathers. Sure. And sometimes that doesn't make fathers look so great, you know, because fathers might not look as sensitive as mothers are. But then others pointed out, like, why why are we doing it that way? Um, so it's an unsettled issue in the research literature of exactly how best to measure um, father's parenting quality. So, um, I'm working on that. Well, yeah, that's going to be really exciting to read. And I know, um, you know, we now have measures for parental alienation where you can put, um, you know, yeah. some, some quantitative numbers around that. And so, uh, having that for both moms and dads would be, um, I think really helpful in the legal world, uh, you know, to try and help level the playing field there because, um, you know, those, uh, I, you know, are often so ambiguous. So I, yeah, that, that's some great research. We'd love to have you back and talk about that, uh, when you've done some more. I would love that. That would be great. <laughs> and so tell us, uh, where can people find you? Are you on, uh, on the Googles on Facebook, uh, social media, oh, that sort of thing? Uh, probably the best place to find me in terms of professional stuff is on Twitter. Um, and I do also have a, um, website at uh, what's u.osu.edu. So, um, and, and it's under my last name. So Shafi Sullivan, 
Um, but if you Google me, I think that comes up pretty quickly because I know my name's a bit of a challenge to spell, but I do have a website that, uh, that talks about my work and provides links to articles and so forth. Um, so that would be a good resource or, or I'm on Twitter as well. Um, where I tweet about, you know, article, like research related stuff, you know, you won't see pictures of my daughter. Well, actually you won't see any pictures of my daughter. Now she's 15 and she, ref- she has put a moratorium on sharing a family photos. So <laughs> she told you no, huh? <laughs> my, social, my social media presence is much more uh, work-related <laughs> lately. <laughs> well, we thank you so much for coming on, and we look back, uh, look forward to having you again here in the future. And, uh, and thank you for all of the work that you're doing uh, in this field because it is so important to get that, uh, you know, inf- first learn that information and then get that out there to everyone so we can, we can use it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I love talking about it. Now, that was recorded on video, so if you want to go ahead and watch the video, you can find the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget, you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, You can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer. We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the Take Action and then Donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, that sorts of thing. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. Stop.